In the eighth and final beatitude, Jesus declared, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All the Beatitudes demonstrate God's reversal of the world's values, but perhaps none so notably as the eighth one. How can being persecuted be blessed? Persecution is never pleasant, but often involves suffering and often severe pain. The key is Jesus' qualification that the blessed persecution comes for righteousness' sake. Jesus wasn't offering a general blessing to all victims of persecution for any cause. No, he offered it only to those who were persecuted for actively pursuing the kingdom of righteousness and because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter put it this way, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Rather than feeling discouraged, dismayed, enraged, or depressed, believers who find themselves persecuted for openly living for Christ in His kingdom have good reason to rejoice and be glad, for their reward is great in heaven. Our Lord offered this potent dose of hope and encouragement to those whose stubborn pursuit of righteousness makes the enemies of God's kingdom try to stop it and extinguish it. So here we are on the eighth beatitude. The, the eighth beatitude offers the same reward as the first beatitude offers, and that is that ours is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we as we look at this eighth beatitude, Jesus tells us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that seems very odd. And it's one of these things that is hard for us to get our mind around because nobody in their right mind would say, I am so blessed, I am persecuted. Nobody would say that. Only somebody who knows Christ, who understands the mind of Christ, and who understands what it is that God wants for every one of us. Jesus has come to this world to tell us that the values of this world are bankrupt. The values of this world, which have been embraced by the people of this world, are values that go against the will of God. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. In case you don't know this or in case you've forgotten, this world is under the influence of the prince of darkness. He is the prince of this world. And so for this reason, God sends his own son into this world to bring light where there is darkness. And so Jesus introduces us to a whole new way of living. That's why we're calling it the Jesus Revolution. It's a brand new way of living. And we know that you are converted. We know if you are a Christian by whether or not you have embraced these Beatitudes. And so today, uh, as we come to this last Beatitude, I hope and pray that your heart will be challenged and that you will see 
that we're talking not just about religious activity or religious exercises. We're talking about a heart that belongs to God and a heart that understands the things of the Spirit. Remember, the natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit. It's very important that you, that you understand that. I hear people say to me all the time, I read the Bible, I don't get it, I don't understand it, it has nothing for me. Well, that's because you're not converted. So if you're telling me that when you read the Scripture, it makes no sense to you, it means that you probably are not converted yet. You're not born again. And so what you need to do, if you really are hungry and thirsty, remember that's one of the Beatitudes. Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. And that's your hunger and that's your desire to know God and to know his will and know his mind. If you want revelation from God, then you need to say, God, I want to be born again. Please forgive me of my sin. God, take, take control of my life. God, I no longer want to be the captain of my own life. God, I want, I want to belong to you, and I want you to be my God. And it's clear what you need to do. You need, the Bible says that you need to confess your sin, and then you need to repent. And to repent means, as you well know, it's just a total change of direction. You were going in that direction, but when you repent, you start going in that direction. You start following after Jesus Christ. So here we are on this last beatitude. And again, the, only the natural mind can understand this and receive this. Are the, only the supernatural mind, the mind that has been, been touched by the Spirit of God can understand this. How can suffering and, and, and being persecuted be a blessed thing? Well, I want to introduce you to somebody that you may or may not know. His name is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was one of those writers that really gripped my own heart, my own mind when I was in my mid-20s. The book that I read is called The Cost of Discipleship. And um, I think the, the name of the book speaks for itself. But what he's talking about is is what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ and what it costs to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't understand that. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of people who uh, go to church, uh, but they don't understand that going to church is, is not enough. You need to be a disciple. You need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this book points out to us the great cost involved in following Jesus. Well, Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, if, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross and follow me. Well, here's what he says. He says that uh, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. And who is our master? Jesus Christ himself. Following Christ means passio passiva, that is suffering because we have to suffer. Now, you're not going to hear this message on, on TV from a TV evangelist because nobody wants to talk about it. In fact, this is one of the things that really confused me in my early years is that I wasn't hearing anybody talking about the suffering of Jesus and the suffering that you and I are called to embrace as followers of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
I was a Lutheran pastor in Germany, and he, he believed that his job as a pastor was to lead his people in obedience to Jesus Christ. And so here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in Nazi Germany. And he was one of the few, uh, I'm not saying he's the only, but he was one of the few that said, no, I am not going to sit back idly while the Nazis carry out their evil schemes, their evil, their evil agenda. Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed what Luther said. Luther said, suffering is one of the marks of the true church. And in the Augsburg Confession, it defined the church as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the sake of the gospel. Let me ask you, when's the last time you heard any TV preacher talk about that? Nobody wants to talk about that. They don't want to entertain that. And yet, if you have read the New Testament, you'll recognize that that is a major theme of the New Testament scripture. In fact, we find it also in the Old Testament. Bonhoeffer said that discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is a joy and a token of God's grace. So he took seriously this eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, Bonhoeffer, as you can imagine, was, was eventually jailed for his activism against Nazis and against the Nazi government. He was, a, he was very vocal, he spoke out, he did things behind the scenes to try to undermine this evil regime. Well, he was imprisoned for his righteousness, for his commitment to Christ, and sadly, in April 1945, just two weeks before the, the Allied forces liberated the POW camp that he was in, he was hanged by the direct order of Heinrich Himmler. Now, isn't that interesting? Heinrich Himmler saw this little Lutheran pastor as a threat as a threat to himself and as a threat to Nazi Germany. Well, we know that there is something far more sinister behind this. We know that Satan himself is behind this persecution of every believer, of every Christian and of the church. And we are seeing it now, folks, in the year 2020 in a way that I've never seen before. In fact, they're saying now that persecution of Christians around the world has hit all time, it's broken all kinds of records. It's at an all time high. Satan is on the move and he wants to destroy Christians. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the gospel message. The message, by the way, which is not being preached in so many places. Now, I want you to understand something. This here is real Christianity. So let me just, again, share these verses with you, this last beatitude. And it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, unlike the other beatitudes, there's two more verses that, that help us understand better what this beatitude is saying. 
And so in verses 11 to 12, Jesus goes on to say, and blessed are you. Now, did you notice that, that Jesus was speaking in the third person? And now he has switched to the, to the second person. He is saying you. He's actually speaking to you. Before he was speaking to all Christians in general, now he's speaking specifically to you, to your heart. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, that, that does not sound very exciting. That doesn't sound very blessed, does it? And yet, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's take a, a moment to look at that. What does that mean, to be blessed uh, if and when we are persecuted. Well, this beatitude will come as a shock to most Christians, especially those who uh, have been shaped by TV preachers and by the, um, uh, the prosperity teaching, the health and wealth teaching that is, was so prevalent for so many years. Uh, basically, almost for all the years that I've been in the ministry, it's been a very prevalent uh, teaching. Well, if you were raised on that, then all of this doesn't make sense, and you're going to do everything you can to twist it and turn it and try to make it say something that it doesn't say. But it is very clear. The Lord Jesus himself is telling us that you are blessed when other people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says this is when you rejoice. Not because you got a new car or a new house or you got the big job, or lots of money. Rejoice and be glad that, that you're being persecuted. So we're talking about a whole new way of thinking. This is why we're calling it a revolution, because what Jesus is teaching goes against the common or the, uh, the, the natural wisdom of this world. Jesus is, is introducing us to a whole new way of living and a whole new way of thinking. This, my friends, is real Christianity. And by the way, it, it was... It was Bonhoeffer's teaching on this that absolutely, well, it, it radicalized me, if you want to use that term. It's a very strong term. But it, it, it literally transformed the way that I thought and the way that I understood the scriptures. In fact, I think that that's why so often I find myself at odds against so many preachers in North America. Because I'm looking at, at, at the scriptures as Jesus teaches us. He's telling us to rejoice and be glad uh, about, about our reward in heaven, not about our reward on earth. Jesus is telling us to be otherworldly, other if you will. This world is not our home. And we read that in, in Hebrews 11. This world is not our home. Uh, those people of great faith in Hebrews 11 were looking for a greater city. And so Jesus is teaching us that as Christians in this world, we're not of this world. And in fact, as we are in this world, we're looking for the world to come. It's, it's living in the shadow of eternity. That's the best way that I can explain it to you. Now, the Apostle Paul, not wanting Timothy to be shocked, Timothy was a young, young protege of his. He was training him and teaching him to be in the ministry. And, and Paul warns his young protege, yes, this is uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you and I following him, following hard after him. 
It's about you and I imitating him. It's about you and I being Christ-like. And this is, this is what, what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 8 when, when, when it says that God uses everything, all the good things and the difficult things and the bad things, God uses all these things to make us like Jesus. This is what real righteousness is. It means that we are, we are living like Christ, and this is exactly what Paul warns Timothy. If you're going to live a godly life in Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. So let's just, let's, just, uh, let's just identify the elephant in the room, as it were. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. Now, I know for some of you, as you're listening to this, you think, whoa, that's not what I signed up for. I didn't know that when I came to Cross Church and became a member, I didn't know that when I became a Christian that that's, that was involved in this. Yeah, well, that's exactly why Jesus says, look, before you, you devote your life to me, you better count the cost first. You have to count the cost. You have to understand what's involved in all this. And the wonderful thing is that God, by his spirit, will will help us understand it. And rather than being fearful, we'll be excited about it. I was. In my mid-20s, I was so energized and so excited after reading Bonhoeffer. I was ready to go and be a martyr in some part of the world for Jesus. Well, you want to do that if you are, in fact, a true follower of Jesus Christ. But if you're interested in, in just you know, playing at religion and tr- playing at being a Christian, then You've come to the wrong shop. I can't help you. But if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, I can teach you how. And one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to experience persecution. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad about that. So there you go. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to experience persecution. You know, read the book of Acts. I I would challenge you to do that. Uh, But first read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then read the book of Acts and then watch for all the cases of persecution. I want you to note something. When we look at the book of Acts, we often think of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those apostles, of those early followers of Christ, these great men and women of God. But, But most of us don't want to look at the persecution that so often goes along with these great miracles. I, I want to challenge you to think about this. Because I suspect that the reason why these early apostles and why these early disciples, these early men and women who were following God, the, the reason that they had such power and anointing upon them to do ministry was in fact because they were prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Something happens to us when we are terrified of suffering. We back off. We're afraid to offend. We don't want to offend our neighbors. We don't offend our family members. We're, we're like, don't say anything. Don't, don't, we don't want to rock the boat. That's not what we see in the book of Acts. We don't see obnoxious disciples. We don't see obnoxious people. What we do see, however, are people who are righteous in the way that Christ is righteous. And by the way, if you're wondering... What marked Christ as righteous is that he was doing the will of his father every time. He always did the will of his father. That's what holiness is. It's it's to do the will of God every single time. By the way, why did Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Because they refused to do the will of God. So now you're getting a picture of what righteousness is. The first Adam, 
refused to do the will of God. Jesus, the second Adam or the last Adam, he did the will of the Father every single time. And you and I, in, in, in following Jesus Christ, we are doing the will of God. And how do we know what the will of God is? Well, we know the will of God through Jesus Christ. We follow him, we listen to him, we obey him. And that really is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, isn't it? It's all about what Christ, what God expects of us, not just in action, but what's in our heart. We read in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25, Paul says, I have been put in prison more often and I've been whipped times without number um, I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 40 lashes was considered uh, enough to kill a man. So they would give him 40 minus one, 39 lashes. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. I have never been whipped. I have never been beaten with rods. But Paul says, add to that, I was stoned and uh, and." I mean, he, he suffered all of this persecution willingly. In fact, gladly. In fact, he rejoiced. Why? Because he was doing it for the sake of Christ. He was doing the will of God no matter what the cost. Now, I've got to remind you, this is what the Beatitudes is all about. The Beatitudes is all about living this counterculture. We are not living like the world. We're different from the world in every way. And I'm going to say, if people look at your life and can't see that there's a difference between, between you and the rest of the world, or if they would look at you and not know that you're a Christian, then there's something radically wrong with you. I, I know that's not probably what you want to hear on the Sunday morning. But there is something radically wrong with you if in your life you are not living out these Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes are, are what describe for us or explain to us what a Christian looks like. The Beatitudes is a perfect, a beautiful description of who Jesus is. And likewise, ought to be a beautiful picture of who you and I are. Now, it's very important to understand that. The world hates us. Because we imitate Jesus, because we are like Jesus. And why do they hate us because we're like Jesus? Because the world hates Jesus. That's what Jesus himself said. Now, this is why it's futile for us to try to be like this world as Christians. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a, there's a modern movement uh, sometimes called seeker-sensitive, where we are trying desperately not to offend the world. Now, obviously, when you've got, when you've got visitors coming to your church, you don't want to do anything that's, that's obnoxious or do anything that's frightening or, or do anything that, that would make them feel unwelcome. But neither do we want to water down the gospel or water down the word of God or the truth. When people come to church on Sunday... What are we here to do? We're here to worship our God. We're here to learn how to obey him, how to do his will. And I'm going to just tell you, Jesus himself said that he is an offense and that the truth, the gospel, is an offense to the unbeliever. And it's for this reason, folks, you and I need to pray 
And it's very important to get this. A lot of people don't understand the importance of prayer. This is why you need to pray. You need to pray that God will do a special work in the hearts and the lives of the people that, you've been, that you love, that you want to see go to heaven. These people, that your friends, your family members that don't know Christ, you need to begin to pray for them. Why? You know, the Bible tells us that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded or put a veil over the eyes of people who are perishing, people who don't know Jesus. And so they don't understand who God is. They attacked Christ, and they are going to attack us because we love him. So at our church, we, we stopped trying to, to, to win the favor of the lost. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to win the favor of God. How do we win the favor of God? By obeying him and doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. It means that we are going to follow hard after Christ. We are going to imitate Christ. Now, I'm going to say something to you that might shock you. But clearly, this is what Jesus is telling us in this beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The mark of a true Christian is that he or she will experience persecution. If you're not experiencing persecution in your life right now, you have to ask yourself, why? Is it because you're too carefully trying to blend in and not offend your kids or offend your family, offend your parents, offend your, your, your people you work with? Listen, you and I are called to live out a righteousness before all of this world for the glory of God. In fact, after the Beatitudes, this is exactly what Jesus gets into when he talks about us being the salt of this earth and being, being a light in this world. This is our job. This is who we are. We go forward in the name of Jesus and we live out the will of God, imitating Christ wherever we are. This will always bring persecution to you. So I'm telling you today that persecution is in fact the mark of a true believer. I experienced persecution in my life, not as much as I should probably, but I'm going to tell you, as I went over this beatitude, I just felt, wow, God, um, I'm, I'm feeling challenged in a, way, in, a, in a way that I haven't been challenged in a very long time. I want you to think about this. Are you living your life in such a way that people are angry? Not because you're being an obnoxious Christian, but angry just because that you are who you are. Because... You refuse to lie. You refuse to cheat. You refuse to cut corners. You know what it's like at work. Everybody says, you know, just, just, you know just, let's, all, let's all close down a little bit early. Let's quit a little bit. But you're saying, no, I'm going to be honest. I'm not breaking any rules. I'm going to stick to the, to the plan. I, I'm, and they're angry at you because now suddenly they feel condemned by you. You haven't said anything. You haven't done anything. But what, what's right, but your life, just who you are as a righteous man, a righteous woman, has caused people to feel condemned. Now, that is something I have experienced a lot over the years, where people feel condemned by my life. And I'm going to tell you, that is really what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and what, are, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, it's, it's on my account that you're suffering. It's because of me that you are being persecuted. Now, let me read to you 
what Jesus himself says in John 15. In case we have any people listening who still don't believe that persecution is something that every Christian should expect. Here's what Jesus says, John 15, starting at uh, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Anybody here shocked to hear this? Or maybe for some of you are saying, ah, now I get it. Now I know why people are angry at me. And do you remember what I told you, Jesus says? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Did you hear that? The reason people reject you or hate you is because your love for Christ. And they, they have hated and rejected Christ. And Jesus is saying, if they hate and reject me, that's because they've hate, they hate and reject God. So let's understand this. Let's get some perspective here. Verse 22, uh, 22, they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. And uh, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. Now, this is very powerful stuff. If you and I are going to follow Christ, and if you and I want to belong to God, and if you and I want to spend an eternity with God, folks, this is part of what happens. You will be persecuted because of your righteousness. So what is this righteousness again? Again, righteousness here refers to imitating Christ or being Christ-like. It means we do whatever Jesus tells us to do. And, and really, by virtue of that fact alone, people will hate you. You will make them feel condemned. You're not saying anything, but they feel condemned. This righteousness that Jesus is speaking about is really all the attributes that are listed in the Beatitudes. This is why you need to go back and look at them and maybe even go back and listen to these messages again. You need to understand that. In this verse 11, Jesus is clearly telling us that we will be blessed. We will have God's favor. We will know a joy that comes from heaven. We will have a, a supernatural or a holy happiness if others revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us. Now again, this should not surprise us uh, we see many examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Abel was persecuted by Cain. Abel, the two brothers of Adam and Eve, or two brothers, the sons of Adam and Eve. Abel was just worshiping God, just trying to do God's will, trying to worship God according to God's will, and Cain killed him. Moses was, was persecuted by Pharaoh. David was persecuted by King Saul, and David never lifted a finger to, to harm the king. He just continued to try to be righteous in everything he said and did. 
We saw Elijah the prophet. He was persecuted by the king and Jezebel. You remember that? There's Jeremiah. He was, uh, he was persecuted by Pashur, the, the priest. And then there was Daniel. Can't forget about Daniel. Persecuted, why? Because he refused to break his relationship, his walk with God. And, uh, and you know the story. I mean, they set him up. And uh, as soon as they, they caught him praying to his God, you know the story, he was thrown into the lion's den. Yes, if you're going to live a righteous life, you will experience persecution. Sometimes you'll survive like Daniel did, and sometimes you won't survive like so many of the people in Hebrews chapter 11. You can read that on your own. Jesus was persecuted by the religious leaders, and they put him to death. The apostles were all persecuted, and uh, some experienced death. They were certainly threatened with death. And of course, the apostle Paul, which I just finished telling you about, he experienced the lashes, beaten with rods, he was stoned. Uh, He experienced all manner of insults and all manner of, of hatred. They said all kinds of things falsely on on, or for the sake of Christ. So here's what I want to say. Jesus is not telling us to go look for persecution. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you need to live like Jesus. There's some people who think that they need to be obnoxious as Christians. I've seen it. I've seen people. There's a, a fellow that came and visited us from Switzerland. He just went to a kind of a radical Bible college. And he says, we need to go into the restaurants and stand on the tables and preach the gospel. And of course, being in my mid-20s, I was intrigued by that. And that's what he did. And, uh, and I'm ashamed now that I didn't try to stop him. Uh, but he, that's what he did, just being obnoxious. And of course, he made the, the owner of the restaurant very angry. And of course, the patrons were angry. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not saying get thrown into jail by being an obnoxious Christian. No, we're talking about simply being so committed to Christ, so devoted to walking with him, experiencing him, and allowing the Spirit of God to work in you, that your life in and of itself makes you a hated person. Let me give you another example. When I was just, I think it was a grade six, I, I just experienced a, a, a phenomenal experience with God. Some of you have heard me share the story about how uh, God uh, gave me the gift of speaking in tongues, and I just felt uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I came home from camp just so on fire for God and, and very, very sensitive to the Spirit and just really wanting to please the Lord. And uh, that's how I was. There I was at Lord Selkirk School, and one of the guys in my class, I had said nothing and had done nothing to offend him or to hurt him, except be a good Christian. And well, he and some of the other guys were acting up and they were being obnoxious. I refused to be part of it. I didn't condemn them. I didn't judge them. I didn't shake my finger at them, tell them to stop doing that. I just refused to be part of it. And the next thing you know, Gunther decided he wanted to to beat me up. Now, the household I was raised in, you always defend yourself, but I've been touched by the Spirit of God, and if you read in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, turn the other cheek. I refuse to fight this guy. 
And he attacked me and he tried to bring me down. And uh, I, again, uh, just, just, I believe by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I refused to give in to Gunther. And, uh, and I, I just found this every day. He was, he, every chance he'd get, he would try to attack me, try to hit me, try to hurt me. He tripped me a few times. And I just started committing him to prayer. Well, about the same time that this was happening, I got a brand new paper route. And lo and behold, one of the houses on my route was Gunther's house. And I knocked on the door to do my collecting. In those days, you delivered paper, then you went to the home and you collected money for the paper. I knocked on the door, his dad answered the door, and then you could see he was like a deer caught in the headlights, and he saw, he was looking at me as I'm talking to his father. He was absolutely terrified. And he got that look in his eyes, please, please don't say anything, please don't say anything. And I didn't. And after that, he came to me and he said, why didn't you tell on me? And I had the opportunity then to share with him what God had done in my life. And from that moment on, he became one of my best friends. And I had the chance to, to share my faith with him. Whether he's serving God today, I don't know. But I'm telling you that I was attacked simply because I belonged to Christ and because I refused to be like the world. Now, that's what Jesus is talking about, that kind of righteousness, a righteousness that so envelops you and so fills you that everybody can sense it, they can see it, they know it, and they either love it or they want to kill you for it. (laughs) That's really what it came down to. If you're righteous like Christ, then I'm going to tell you what's going to be happening. You're going to be sharing your faith You're going to be telling people about Christ. You're going to be living out the Beatitudes. And folks, I'm going to tell you, this is the sign of the spirit of the living God working in you. Let me just close with uh, a very, very interesting story. You can read about it yourself in Acts chapter 5. And and here we, we have the disciples. They're out preaching the gospel. People are getting healed. Lives are being transformed. All kinds of miraculous miracles are happening and, and the preaching is going forth. And finally, the, the religious leaders are furious and they demand that, that these apostles quit preaching about Jesus and they throw them into jail. And so this is, uh, this, here's, the, here's the disciples in jail. And while they're in jail, the angel comes and opens the door and lets them out. And the angel says, go back, go back and keep on preaching. And the apostles, not arguing with the angel, do exactly what the angel says. They go back preaching. Meanwhile, the religious leaders say, okay, bring those apostles before us so we have to talk to them and we have to set them straight and we got to make sure this never happens again. And so they go to get the apostles, but they're not there. And they come back to the religious leaders. They're not there. What should we do? And even as they're speaking to the religious leaders, someone runs in and said, those apostles that you threw in jail, they're back out there preaching again. Well, the religious leaders, not knowing what to do, they went and said, arrest them again and go bring them back to us. And they got the apostles and brought them back. And this is what they said to the apostles. We gave you strict orders never again to teach In this man's name, that's Jesus. Instead, you have filled all of Jerusalem with with your teaching about him, and you 
want to make us responsible for his death. They're saying, look, don't make us responsible for the death of Jesus. It was his fault. And Peter and the apostles replied to these religious leaders, well, hang on a minute here. You're telling us not to preach about Christ anymore, but here's what we have to do. We must obey God rather than any human authority. And now the, the religious leaders, they don't know what to do. They conferred together, and one of the, one of the great leaders said, look, at, you know what, you can, you can kill them, but if this is of God, it's going to go on. If it's not of God, it'll die on itself, all, all by itself. And so what they did is they took the apostles, and they beat the living daylights out of them. And then here's what happens after, and this is so thrilling. It says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Would you do that? And every day in the temple and from the house to house, look at this, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. This is a righteousness that comes from God. These apostles, they're saying, we obey God first. And Jesus gave us clear instructions just before he left this earth. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do. You can beat us, you can kill us, you can maim us, you can hurt us, you can, rev you can revile us, you can say all kinds of nasty things against us, but we're not going to stop doing the will of our Lord. And that, my friends, is why all of Jerusalem was turned upside down. And that is why the gospel spread throughout the world within, within the first 40 to 50 years of Christianity. It's because there were men and women who were not afraid of being persecuted. Rather, they were more afraid of God than of every, any human authority. Blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are converted, you're born again, you belong to God. If you're doing the will of God, and how do you know? that you're doing the will of God, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted, you will be hated. People will talk about you behind your back. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you today for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us. God, help us, we pray, to, to allow your spirit to live in us and work in us in a way that the Beatitudes are obvious in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ has taught us and has shown us the way. And thank you for your spirit who works in us, making it possible for us to live this way. And God, give us the grace now, we pray, to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. To say with our master, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Amen.